The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Probably my least favorite topic to preach about. Let's pray. As you're flipping to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you'll realize if you've known me for any amount of time why I'm, I don't enjoy this, uh, and I'm going to try my best to get out of this sermon without judging others too harshly in my heart. Lord, I, I need you for my own disposition this morning. God, you've, you've wired me to press back against certain things, and I pray that I would not press back out of my flesh, but it would only be your spirit within me. I pray that there would be a clear picture of what it means to be a godly, generous person and a clear picture of what it means to be a shepherd and a pastor and a clear picture when abuses are had in the church, when abuses are seen. So I pray that you would speak through this passage this morning to challenge us, to stretch us, to grow us, to look more like you, to be more like family, to be more on mission, to make more disciples who love you. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. If you got a real Bible, hold it up. I'm just going to do this every week. I kind of got to see who's got a real Bible. Look at this. The numbers are dwindling. I love it. Um, who's got a bulletin? Who's got a real bulletin? Hold it up. Anyone got a bulletin? Don't forget, pray for people. There's a spot on the tear-off. Pray for three people every week. Um, it's something that I've had for many, many years is a list, and I keep it in my phone, and I just pick three people or more to pray for every single week, um, and it changes. It rotates, and it's not just the people that I care about. I obviously am going to pray for my wife and my children because they need it and those who are around me, but it's fun to go outside of my normal circle and stretch my prayer life, so please do that. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, going through this season, season 3, has a bunch of these topics that Paul is dealing with, and today we land on a topic of leadership within the church. So this can get a little, uh, this is why it gets a little wild for me, and, and something came up that was really funny. I don't know if some of you noticed, if you came in this door, did you guys notice anything weird when you walked in? There's a pew there. Now here's how that pew came about. Someone said, Ryan, we have a pew, and we don't need it. Do you need it for something? I said, no, but I want it. And I don't know. I didn't know what I wanted it for. So I said, just drop it off. So there's literally a pew there, just a random pew sitting there. And, and this morning in the back hallway, someone said, hey, if we donate enough money, we could get our name on the pew. And I don't know. Some of you are going to be like, what does that mean? I just need to tell you that this is, this is what was done in the past. As a matter of fact, at the last church where I served before here, there were a throwback to when they still had this practice going on. And there were rows in the back of these pews because there was a gorgeous sanctuary with a giant dove stained glass that would cast these laser beams into the preacher's eye during the sermons. And in the very back, when they had originally done the building, they had taken special donations. And if you donated a certain amount, you got a placard with your name on the pew. Now, I didn't know about this until one Sunday when I was ushering, and somebody came up to me and they said, um, somebody's sitting in my pew. And I said, I don't know what that means. And they said, well, my family's pew is right there, and somebody's in it. And I looked around, and I said, 
It's your family's pew. And in my mind, I'm thinking that thing that we all say as second graders, like, well, it's not yours if your name ain't on it. And they, before I could even get this thought complete in my head, they said, our, look, our family's name is on it. And lo and behold, I walk over and I squat down. And right here in this pew, there's a gold plaque that had this family's name. This pew was donated by such and such and such and such for their generous blah bitty blah bitty blah And they said, will you please ask the people to get up out of our pew? I had a twitch. I took a shot of Pepto-Bismol. And I said, no. We're a church for people. People that don't know that you could buy a pew station and show up once or twice a year and claim it. We're a church for people who just want to sit. And as a matter of fact, your pew is in the back row. So most likely the people that are sitting back there are already nervous about being here. Because that's where people sit when they come new into a church. They don't come all the way up to the front. You have to work your way up here with boldness or you just have to be weird to get up to the front row. When you visit, you sit in the back somewhere. I told them that we wouldn't kick anyone out of a pew. I told them that money cannot afford someone a special seat in a church gathering. And they told me that they were going to take this above my head. They were going to talk to my, my leaders, my bosses. And in my mind, if you've noticed in your bulletin, I hide little Easter eggs. I put on the staff page who my bosses are. And I put their contact info in there. Jesus Christ, the Savior, the lead pastor of the chapel at Fishhawk. Contact info at prayer. The Holy Spirit, the convictor of sin, dwells within each believer. The Father rules and reigns from heaven. Contact info also at prayer. So I told them, by all means, take it up with my boss. Today, it's, it's a sermon that I, I don't naturally like, and you're going to find out why. Because it's about this church leadership and then giving, and then Paul's wrestle, because the Corinthians were constantly fighting about who their favorite leader was, and they were supporting them and loving them. And Paul is coming right into this dysfunctional church, and he says in verse 1, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you. Because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now, before we keep going into the, the, the tough part, it's interesting to me, when I think about Paul saying this, Paul saying to the Corinthian church, you are the seal that I am from God. When I stand before God, I'm going to say, God, this is, these are the people you gave me. Sometimes I look at you guys and I think, good grief, am I going to be judged? Sometimes I wonder, Lord, what type of people... Can you just send me the nice Christians, Lord? I want the people who already know the Bible. I want the people who grew up in the church and they know John 3.16 and the King James Version. I want the people who just give regularly, love regularly, serve once a quarter. They raise decent children. And the Lord, I think, just sits in heaven and smiles. He says, Ryan, I'm going to give you the people. Some are going to be great and disciplined. Others are going to give you headaches that there is no cure for. Some people in the chapel are going to be 200 milligrams of Motrin, while others are going to be 1,600 milligrams of Motrin. Some people 
are going to be a great joy, Ryan, and some people are going to be a thorn. I'll let you decide which you are. But I'll tell you one thing, I'm grateful for every one of you here. I'm grateful for everyone who calls the Chapel family their home. Every time that I get to see a marriage restored or a life turned back to God, it brings me great joy. Even the people that are in process, even the people who are not sure where God is leading them, it's a great joy. Yesterday I needed a manual laborer, and I, I knew of a teenager who has been grounded for eternity in, someone, in one of the chapel families. So I called the mom and I said, hey, I know that this person is grounded for all of eternity. I need some muscle. Can I borrow them? And they said, absolutely. Because if, if your kid is grounded for eternity, chances are likely you want them to hang out with a pastor because maybe I can like do some Jesus thing. So I borrowed this teenager and it was so much fun to, uh, to just pick on him the whole time. I, I, I needed some muscle to move a big ladder and and it, we had a great time doing it. And in our conversation, it was one of those moments where I, I just teleported all the way back to my youth pastor years. And I began thinking about all of the kids that I had when I was a youth pastor. My, my oldest kids now, who, whom I was their pastor, are in their 30s. One of them is pastoring at a church. It boggles my mind that I, I had discipled someone who's in their 30s. I know some of you parents feel that way about your own children. It's the seal. Because some of the kids that I pastored have walked far, far, far from the Lord. And they are my seal. For good or for bad, for pain or for joy. I'm called to love you, shepherd you, pray for you. I believe my primary job is to pray for the family here. To connect with you, encourage you. Not just on Sundays, but as much as I can in between. And this is what Paul goes on to say. Because the Corinthians had received Paul for his skills, but they weren't connecting with him in a certain way. My defense to those who examine me is this. You're free to examine me. You're free to write letters about me. I've shared before some of the great compliments and destructive letters I've received. And Paul is giving a defense for his ministry. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife? I used to want to send that verse to the Pope all the time, but I never did. Like the other apostles, the Lord's brother and Cephas, or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard or does not eat its own and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while, treading, while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this was written for our sake. Because he who plows ought to plow in hope. And he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much that we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Can you see why I don't like this passage? Paul says, I've served you. Why aren't you feeding us? It's basically the passage where a pastor can stand up and say, this is what we deserve. And here's why I bristle at it. And here's where I get into trouble in my own mind. I've collected some, some fun facts. 
of what pastors have said they deserved. And I'm not going to mention names. You're free to Google to your heart's content. One pastor within the last few years told his congregation that it was time for an upgrade. He needed a Falcon 7X, a $54 million jet. He said, I really believe, this is from the words of his mouth to hell's gates. I really believe that if Jesus was physically on earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. This same pastor in a conversation with another pastor talking about a jet for this other pastor, which was more of a meager purchase, a $36 million Gulfstream jet. They said, we can't fly on commercial aircrafts filled with passengers because it's too demonic to be around people. We can't pray with these people around us. Another pastor in a court trial was standing there and the, the attorney coming after him was asking about his house, which was a ministry center. It also happened to be a 10,000 square foot plus mansion. And one item they asked about was the $6,000 of Louis Vuitton clothing. And he said, well, I need these types of clothes for a TV appearance. As a pastor. The reason why I don't like passages like this. And the reason why I was, I'm just, I've been praying all week. I'm like, Lord, how do I take this passage to encourage your people? Because the reality is this. Paul says, yes, if we preach and we disciple and we pray for and we pour into a church family, give. If you're not a giving person, there's so much in the Bible about giving, about what generosity creates in you, and about how Jesus was generous for you, and now we are generous in return. The reason why I bristle at these is because when I tell people I'm a pastor, if you've watched the news, I get painted with the same brush as these people. The same brush as the people that say, if you develop an image of success, health, abundance, joy, peace, and happiness, nothing on earth will be able to hold those things from you. That is the only time you'll hear a phrase like that in a sermon coming out of my mouth because it's not my words. If your vision of church, if your vision of Christianity is one where you just get all of the things that culture tells you you deserve anyway, when the founder and the savior and the God of our religion was a mostly homeless person in his 30s before he died a horrendous death, who trusted the Father to provide as he walked from village to village, something doesn't add up. This pastor also says, all of us are born for earthly greatness. You were born to win. God wants you to live in abundance. You were born to be a champion. He wants you, he wants to give you the desires of your heart. The Bible also says your heart is wicked and deceitful. Don't trust it. Before we were formed, he prepared us to live abundant lives, to be happy, healthy, and whole. Look, I'm not against happiness. I'm happier than most people I know. I'm not against health. I, I literally have been thinking about potentially being healthy in the future. Okay? On the way here this morning, uh, 
I was even thinking, I, I'm turning 39 in just a, a month here, month and a half, and I was thinking this morning, maybe before I turn 40, so like from my birthday until I turn 40, I'm just going to hit it hard. I'm going to do all the kale, all the granola stuff, all the oats and the whole grains. I'm going to hit the gym with my middle brother. I'm just going to get in the best shape of my life going into my 40s. And that lasted for about seven seconds. And I was like, no, no, that's silly. That's silly. And don't, don't listen to that because I'm going to think that when I turn 39 and a month and a half. You're going to see me posting pictures on Instagram at the gym. Like, get jacked. I'm going to be taking my pre-workout stuff. I don't even know what that does. Someone told me it's like five cups of coffee and one fruity drink. So that got my interest going. So I'm not against all these things. Happiness, healthiness, wholeness. But if we're looking for happiness in what this world says will make us happy, I don't believe we will find it. If we look for health in this world, it only lasts so long. There's only so much that kale and low cholesterol or whatever metric you're measuring will do. There's only so much that keto can strip off of you. If you haven't figured it out yet, if you don't realize that age wins, come with me tonight to the Twin Oaks community. Where people are there, Miss Ruby is there, a hundred years old. A hundred years old. Now she's still fiery. She was hitting on Jesse like I've never seen an old woman hit on a young man. It was remarkable, the fire in her. She couldn't hear us talking, but she sang every song louder than everyone in the circle. And she knew all the words, and I'm, I don't think she could see the lyrics. She's healthy of a sort, but, but eventually we all go. Ten out of ten people die. Here's what I know that God wants us to do. To look at what Jesus did when he was in his body, walking around in this earth. And now we do those things. People ask me, why don't we see God healing people? Why don't we see God making water into wine anymore? Why don't we see blind people receive their sight again? Because these things happened on mission. Where people gave, not just their money, not just their time, but their lives. I've, I've been posting a few times, and I have a little blog post about this documentary I watched. It floored me. It's about the church in Iran. The church in Iran is the, currently the fastest growing church body in the world. The majority, vast majority, 99% of the people that make up the church in Iran are obviously former Muslims. The church in Iran has no buildings, no assets, no bank accounts, is led primarily by young women. In one interview... A young Iranian woman in this is being interviewed and their, their faces are, are masked and their voices are disguised. And she says, when I share, go to share the gospel with a man, I know that there is a possibility that I will be raped or murdered. But I do it because Christ has called me to do it. <laughs> I am such a weak man. Fearing that someone might reject me when I talk about Jesus. I tried to put myself in the, the experience. Like, what would it be like in this culture where this person going up and God is prodding and leading this young woman to say, I'm going to share the gospel with this man. And if he chooses to, he will take me out behind a building and rape me and or kill me. But I'll go. And this is where the church is growing 
faster than any other place in the world currently. We have the news and all these things and that show pictures of these different countries. And when the whole Iranian thing came up, I just started praying, like, Lord, do something there. Not, not do something to prevent the wars, but do something to start a movement of your kingdom there. Then I got humbled because one of these Iranian church leaders came to the United States because they don't have Bible schools or seminaries. They don't have training. They have to go outside of the country to get trained and to learn more and to get more help and resources like these things that we so often take for granted. And they came to America and they, they went back saying that the American church has a covering of Satan over it. Everyone is comfortable. No one is sharing the gospel. How does this all connect to the video, to this text about Paul saying, look, we're serving you. Let's come together. Let's pay and be generous and raise up a body. Because the way that this is, and I've said it before and I'll keep saying it again, if this is all of your spiritual experience and connection in a week, you're starving. I don't care how good the preacher is. I don't care if you took me out and you bring back the spirit of R.C. Sproul or John Piper or C.S. Lewis. I don't care who's up here. If, it's all, if this is your spiritual connection and this is it. If you're not taking this and then feasting on this book and then going to someone and say, come with me and let me show you how to feast on this and talk to other people and make disciples. If this is it, you'll be... You'll be bones and skin in your soul. There will be nothing to lean on. The reason why I believe that my primary job, my primary job, it's not preaching. My primary job is not making sure the bills get paid. My primary job is not just leading a staff. Or My primary job is to pray for you all. I love, I love that we have this planning center. Because I'll just go, and when I started praying for houses, those of you who texted me, I just hit your address, and it opens up my map, and I just drive, and I pray. I love social media, not because of what it does to our souls, but because I get to see where some of you are at. The fact that we have phones, the fact that we have literally so many ways to connect in our pockets, yet we're the most isolated generation in humanity is terrifying. So my job is to pray and to preach and to shepherd. But it's not just for this. Most pastors that I know, um, they spend lots of time writing a sermon. And it's fun. We like to do this. But I'm going to be honest. Like, You will remember 10% of what I say if you're lucky. That's according to a Princeton study. 10% of the words coming out of my mouth will lodge in your brain. Which means I am 90% worthless on a Sunday morning. Are you tracking? I know our schedules are crazy. This thing that, that Derek started with the men, it hasn't taken off. You discouraged, Derek, a little bit? I'm discouraged a great bit. He got all the men. Say, so when can you meet? And all of us men are like, ooh. I don't know, man. It's scary. Look, you don't have to go talk about your feelings and go all Judy Bloom with each other. Just sit down. 
Discipleship doesn't have to be in a microchurch. In these churches where the church is persecuted, they're not saying, let's get organized, let's text somebody. They're saying this, like, if you need something, like, I got you. Because this church, man, we are so abundant. We have this massively cool building. We've got almost seven acres of just grass and fire ants. Not only that, we've got all the houses we live in. And they're not yours, in case you didn't know that. Those are God's houses that he's letting you live in. We've got all of the cars, all of the bank accounts, all of the properties, all of the clothes. These are things that God has given you to be used for him to push back the darkness in this world, to bless the family of God. To be one unit that moves and brings more people into this family. If you want to know when Jesus is going to turn water to wine, if you want to know when Jesus is going to heal the blind and let them see again, if you want to know when we're going to see someone who has cancer, have it removed miraculously from their body before they get to TGH, it's not going to be when we're trying to be these hyper-spiritual cloistered people. It's going to be when we live on mission in the world. Every work of God was driven not by people who came into a building, but by people who went out of the buildings. Every work of God began not when Christians were comfortable, but when they were uncomfortable. And Paul says, let's just pool it together. And whoever needs help, whoever's leading us, let's resource them. Let's pour into them. And I'm not asking you today to give for me. Every once in a while, uh, every year, the budget comes up and, uh, and there's an American way of thinking about a job. The American way is this. Have you done your job well? Then should you get a raise? It's not the question I've ever asked myself. Now, don't get me wrong. I love that you guys chip in every week and you pay me to literally put my face in this book and pray for your souls. I think it's the craziest thing. And I've told people this for all 20 years. Like somebody pays me to do what I would do for free anyway. Jokes on them. This is amazing. But there's other people. Re-volunteers for time. Joanna in the back who's transitioning into this role of Kidman is volunteering her time. Corey volunteers his time. Before Joanna, Donna volunteered her time. Edwin volunteered their time. These are people who are pouring in, praying for, loving us. What would it look like if we just became more of what God has designed the church to be? And I will tell you up front, I'm, I will never, from a church salary, own a jet. Notice my caveat in there? Because you better believe if, if a Powerball ticket flies into my window and it's the winning one, I'm buying me one of those personal jet crafts like the Rocketeer. You'll see me on electric surfboards and electric skateboards till the day that I die, which will be shortly after all those are purchased. I'm never going to make above a certain amount of money from a church because Paul goes on to give the, the requirements. He says it's to, for things that you need to eat, to have a wife, and in my case, four kids, and to have a home. There will be a cap at some point when God does whatever he wants. And by, by that, I don't mean when this place gets just jam-packed and so people are giving so much with such generosity. We just have a surplus in our budget. Right now, the word surplus doesn't even exist in some of the elders' brains. I know that I know what's coming. God has been leading me and drawing me through a season, and I'm excited, not for this place, 
but to be a hub to resource other places, to be a church that connects other churches. A local church reached out to me because I've been trying to connect with pastors to be one church. And they said, hey, we're doing something for our, for our volunteers. My first thought was, dang, I need to do something for my volunteers. He said, can I use your facility because they don't have one? I said, absolutely. And he said, how much does it cost? I said, nothing. Just pay a tech person because they have to take time away from their family. And he said, done. And he said, are you sure we can't pay you? We're going to be using your electricity and your air. It, we, should, we should pay you something for your building. I said, it's not my building. The name of this church is Jesus Church. How guilty would I feel for charging a church called Jesus Church? If it was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I'd be like, it's five grand a minute. <laughs> but it's not. I don't, that's, see, I told you I was going to be mean, Lord. I'm so sorry. I'm serious. Because I don't like the, the brush of pastors saying, this is my castle. These are my people. You all aren't my people. I'm not the person at the top of the staff on the bulletin. It's Jesus is the king. I'm way down the list. And Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father, they're all equal. And I'm not even like, I just put my name on top because people see my face. It should be, other, it should be the kid's person on top because they're driven the most crazy. They've got to disciple people who actually listen and grow. I disciple people who don't listen or grow every week. Some of you got that. Paul says, do you not know that those who perform temple services eat food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. You guys, I'm, I'm well fed right now. I'm well taken care of. Don't get me wrong. Just like all of you, money gets tight sometimes. It's, it's bewildering to me. I'm, this, I've been sharing the story of the, the family that we're helping because they moved across the country. And I, I could keep telling Amy, I'm like, I can't believe teenagers. I just can't believe them. And I'm going to have uh, like three of them at one time in my house. And then Bella will come up later. I don't understand how they eat. I don't understand how they can use that much water. I don't understand why my internet speeds feel like AOL dial-up. But then I look around and there's like 17 people streaming Netflix and video games all over my house. I've got to upgrade to that new deal Frontier's got. 500 over 500 for, for cheap. Don't get me wrong, finances, they don't mean nothing. As a matter of fact, I believe, and I've taught this for many, many years in conversation, the wallet is the last part of discipleship that tends to get cut. We will give up our Sunday mornings for Jesus. We will give up a Wednesday night for Jesus. We will give up the way that we live a little bit here and there for Jesus. But it's always in our culture because the wallet and money is what's been lifted up to be our God. So in our culture, that's often the last thing that we finally say, Lord, I can let it go. It's not mine anyways. It's what you gave me, so I want to give back. I want to help the church. I want to press light into the darkness of this world. It's never going to be so that I can have an Audi or a jet. It's never going to be me saying, you know what the Lord's told me to do? One more. And I shouldn't say, the Lord can say anything he wants. And maybe God did tell these clowns to get a jet. I don't believe it, obviously. But maybe he did. Maybe God told one pastor to pray when he gets a parking spot in the front of a store. He prays, Lord, I thank you for your favor. 
that he got the first parking spot, the closest one to the door. Can you imagine being a pastor who can walk, thanking God for the favor of getting that first parking spot when the person behind you, maybe they were a 97-year-old woman with a cane. And she's saying, where's my favor, Lord? Oh, sorry, I had to give it to the pastor. We do these weird things with money. Money creeps into the church in dangerous ways. I keep setting my limit in my head, like, Lord, here's what I never want to make above. And ideally, I would like to just find a job where I didn't have to make any money so we could just pay other people and give money to to microchurches or to people that are more in need. So often I want to do that, and so often we're constrained because we have all these things now. And some of you are going to be like, well, if you don't like these things, why don't you just leave? Because I'm not going to, God put us here. And he said, there, there needs to be a light. Well, there's a lot of lights in this community. You're right. There are. And we're all very different. You should just do a little church field trip one day. And there's not one that's necessarily better than another. But if you go to the churches within a five-mile radius of here, all 37,000 of them, you'll realize that we have very different DNAs and age demographics and spiritual backgrounds and worship styles and preaching styles. You'll find pastors that are less grumpy than me and pastors that are more grumpy than me. You'll find pastors that are more consistent than me and some that are less. Because some days like today, all I have is my heart to give you. To say, Paul says, look, church, let's be generous with people who are, spir- who are feeding you spiritually. I would love that. I will love that. Uh, not I would. I will love that. Because there are people who've been giving and giving and giving. And it'd be so nice to be able to have the church come together to say, what's the need? Paul, though, says what I hope to say one day. For my part, verse 15, I have used none of these rights. He's used none of the rights of receiving payment or food from the Corinthians. Nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. I can't wait to, I want to say this one day. I want to say, you all, I do this for free. I found some other job. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for I do this willingly. I have a reward, but if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward to preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and make full use of my rights in the gospel? The reason why I don't compel people to give It's because the gospel's free of charge. The the gospel literally is the good news of Jesus that he loved you for free. It still bewilders me how broken Christian giving is in the minds of so many people. Some people, some of you in here, believe that if you give, then you'll have more access to God's love. That is not the case. You have all the access to God's love because of what God gave to you. You give in response to that, but he already loves you times 3,000. And he will continue to love you that much when you fail in giving and generosity or when you succeed. And I know already what some of the Pharisees are thinking in this room. Pastor Ryan, if you say things like that, people won't give. And my response is to these Pharisees and legalistic people, If the people don't give, then it's my job to preach a more compelling vision of what Jesus gave for them. That he gave his life, his actual life. He gave his perfection, his complete perfection 
for we train wrecks and rebels. And then Paul is giving us the example in the church. Here's what this looks like, church. We've just got to pull in, pour in with the things that God has given us because this world is filled with hell and pain and disease and suffering. And God is saying, let's rise up. Let's make disciples. Let's go out and live on mission. Let's fund whatever we need to fund. And it doesn't have to be a program. You don't have to get into a microchurch. I would love it if you would, but some of us can't because there's only so many at so much times a day. But get with somebody and grab them by the collar and say, I can't meet with a group, but I need more Jesus. When can we do it? And if you're like, I don't have anyone to grab. Literally, I'm right here. Grab my collar and say, I need something. If you're a girl, I'm going to find a girl for you. Unless we have a bunch of people. Because I'm obviously not going to let some girl boss me around. I already married one of those. (laughs) She can grab my collar and say, disciple me. Talk to me about Jesus. But if you need someone, we're here. And I know it's going to be scary and painful. I know some of you have so much church hurt. You don't want to let someone in. I know some of you have so much time conflict. You work full time. You're an Uber driver for your kids. You can't find time. I promise you there's time. If, if you want to press in to what it means to be a disciple, to be on this mission like Paul, and some of you are going to be called to become ministry people. Some of you have already had the call and you've run from it or questioned it. And God's saying, no, you're going to be a preacher. You're going to be a, an evangelist. You're going to be funded through a church body. Because the reality is this. All of us are, are ministers. Do you believe that? All of us are called to make disciples. God just routes our paychecks through different ways. My paycheck says it's from the chapel at Fishhawk Incorporated. Some of your paychecks say it's from the government, Incorporated, whatever that is. McDill, I don't know how you get those. I was never in the military. Does Donald Trump sign your paychecks, come to think of it? Probably not. Some of you get your paychecks from Mosaic. Some of you get your paychecks from school. Some of you get your paychecks from Outback or McDonald's or wherever it is. Some of you don't get paychecks, but you really want one. (laughs) It's all God saying, you're a disciple maker, and I'm going to pay you through here. You are on my team, and I've opened up this opportunity and given you these skills. Go do this there. So this is not a sermon that just says, pay the preacher. If I ever die, tragically, tragically to you, graciously and blessing for me, um, just don't hire a pastor who lives off of the offerings of the people in opulence. Make sure that your pastor has a sound view of saying, I only need enough to live. Because there are things that I ponder sometimes, like retirement, because a a culture says retire. Save up for retirement. And it's probably a good idea. I keep telling my wife, we should do this thing called retirement. Right now, my only plan is expirement. And life insurance. Are you guys, anyone doing that with me? The life insurance game, you get the policies, hope you die at a certain age so your wife's taken care of? Just me, okay. I, um, I'm trusting that the Lord will provide exactly as he deems worthy. But the last raise I was received, I received at the chapel was from someone who said, you never take a raise. I've been here for two years and you've never taken a raise, asked for a raise. Why is that? I said, I don't, uh, God will give me a raise if he wants to give me a raise. And he said, okay, fine. I'm going to give you a raise myself personally. I thought, that's cool. It's this. He saw this. I had poured into him and he thought, 
You poured into me. I want to, I want to bless your family. If, if some of you are so compelled today to give me a fat raise, so super good with it. If it goes over a certain amount, I'm just, I'm just passing money along at that point. Who knows, maybe I'll show up next week in my P1 McLaren in the parking lot. Maybe I'll get some Louis Vuitton shoes. It's my life goal to get on the sneakers of pastors Instagram where we wear fancy shoes and they, someone takes a picture of us and calls us out. If you want to take a picture of my fancy shoes, have at it. Vans, circa 1980, size 13, approximate cost $29.99, Nordstrom Rack, boom. I can't even stomach to read the rest of this because my heart is, is tortured with the pastors that try to squeeze money out of people for earthly glory. I don't care if this building has more buildings or less. I care if we're making more disciples or not. It breaks my heart that Jesus is on that platform right there. You want to know why? Because the baptismal is not there. So somebody, let's, let's lead people to Jesus so we can move his sign, put the baptismal there, and drown people for three seconds at a time. In Jesus' name. This is why we're here. Not for this. For him to baptize people into that family. To push back the darkness. To pray on the streets. To love our neighbors with radical generosity. And to give in a way that acknowledges that what we own is not actually ours. It's, it's a stewardship that God gives us. And all these other things, all the money stuff that is in the bulletin every week, we do, we do that because it's what churches do. Here's what we got in the offering. And some people have said to me, we didn't get enough last week. To which I reply in a very Gandalfian way, we got exactly what the Lord intended. Would you pray about how you give? To what you give? To what degree that you give? And would you give in response to the gospel work, whether it's here or somewhere else. The caveat that I always say, if you think I'm after your money, give it somewhere else. But we're here to lift these facilities up. We're here to pray for people, to push back the darkness in people's hearts. Since I just saw Edwin walk in after his long trip, I will say that Edwin would appreciate if you did not give to somewhere else. <laughs> Welcome back, Edwin. But I will say that we're all one team. Jesus Church over in Riverview at the Regent. Seaglass Church down in Apollo Beach. These are brothers that have drawn near to me. South Bay on 301. Brothers that have drawn near to me. Brothers I don't know very well yet. Fishhawk Fellowship. But I pray for them. Bay Life. Love them. Pray for them. Methodist people. Methodists for them. I pray for the Presbyterian Church. I pray for the Catholic Church. Anywhere that I believe that the good news of Jesus has an opportunity to be preached, I will pray for. If you think those suit your giving better, just write the check. If you're like, I don't want to go over there, you can write it out to me and you could just burn it like a, like a poker in my side. I wrote this to St. Stephen's. Will you deliver it for me? And I will not. I will. Maybe not. No, no. See, I'm so sinful today. Lord. Ah. Let it be done in this place. Send your spirit in this place so that these people that are here this service will go out and be different 
not just different in the way they give, not different just in the way they approach money, but realizing that it's all yours and it's all for you. And we're trying to do something here with our time, with our money, with our bodies, with our breath to make more people see and hear the good news of you. I, I need you, God, to change because I can't I, I change this because I can't change this. Lord. My words will not change this. Your word can. My heart, God, can, can just bend people for a moment, but your spirit can bend them for eternity. So bend those of us who need to bend. Break those of us who need to be broken. Inspire those of us who need to be inspired. Unclench the hands that we have on the hours stuff for those of us who need to be unclenched. And let us trust what your word actually says and live like you've provided and fueled us to live. Because there's people that are going to be apart from you forever. If we just keep sitting around waiting for more knowledge to fall into our brains. Fill us. Fire us up. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.